All right. Am I am I on? Can you guys hear me out there? Good. I got a thumbs up. That's good. Well, it's my first time behind this pulpit. It's big. That's good. I like it. Ah. All right. Well, thank you guys uh, and gals for the music. Uh, that was really good. I'm, it, it's such a, this brings back a lot of childhood memories for me, being able to come together on a Wednesday night and have singing and some Bible teaching. Um, that's, a, that's a really good thing. Um, I kind of miss that, so I'm glad we're here together tonight to, to partake in that together and, uh, and what great songs that we, that we sang. Um, tonight, we're starting a new thing. I don't know how long this will last, how long we'll be doing things this way, but we're uh, going to do some midweek teaching. We've been putting out midweek teaching from the elders, uh, but we're going to try to do it this way for a little while, and uh, pardon me if I have to keep messing with this microphone. I think my ear shrunk. doesn't stick on there as well. Okay, we'll try that. Um, and so we're going to try it this way with some music, and uh, each week um, I'll do a couple weeks here, I think, and then periodically we're going to have different elders come in and do, and we're going to kind of uh, rotate around uh, so that you guys get teaching from all the elders uh, here. So uh, what I am going to do is something that I was working on prior to COVID, uh, before all this stuff started. Um, I had started a study in Malachi, and I uh, got through a few weeks of that with my uh, Wednesday night group and also with my Sunday morning group. I see people here from my uh, Wednesday night group, at least, and maybe even a couple from Sunday mornings. Um, so what I thought about was doing a bit of a recap. Uh, it's been, you know, a few months, and so uh, part of me feels bad that people have to hear some of the same things they've heard before, but then uh, as I was talking to my wife, she said, no, she says, you know, I hear things sometimes, and even a month later, I go, uh, I'll listen to the same thing, and I don't really remember you know, a lot of what was said. And so she kind of reassured me that maybe people would be okay with it. So I apologize if it feels like uh, you've heard this before. Um, I have condensed it a little bit. Um, my, introduction, I'll have, my introduction will be a little shorter, and uh, we'll get, get into chapter one. Normally what I'm used to is an hour and a half <laughs> of, of teaching, and so now we're cut down. I think if that clock's right, I've got, what, 45 minutes? Does that sound right? Okay. So... I'm used to a lot longer period of time, and we do a lot of questions and those kind of things. So I'll try to throw some questions, ask some questions here as well, as well and, and have some, some participation from the group. Um, and if you know the answer because you already heard it, maybe give someone else a chance. And <laughs> No, it's okay. If, <laughs> just wait a second or two, and then you can raise your hand if you have an answer for something. So um, before I get started, though, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament right before Matthew. And uh, what I would like to do is have a word of prayer before we get started tonight. Join me as we pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this night. We thank you for singing. We thank you for our, for our voice, this tool that you've given us, not only to communicate one another, Lord, but to sing praises to you. Uh, Lord, the talents that different people have for playing instruments, and some sing better than others. Um, but Father, it, it's a wonderful thing that we, can, that we can praise you in song. And so I thank you for that tonight. 
I thank you, Lord, as we open your word, as we hear what you have said, Father, that, that your word would impact our lives, um, that we wouldn't look at this as something that happened a couple thousand years ago or more, uh, and, and just as a story, Lord, but as informative, Lord, as, as your word that teaches us about you. And I pray, Father, as we go through this, that we would learn more about you, that we would be uh, encouraged by it, Lord, that we would be in, in reverential awe of you. And God, we thank you for the truth of your word, that we can trust it, absolutely. Old Testament and New Testament, Lord, we cannot separate them. They are linked our Lord referred to the Old Testament many times when he was walking the earth, Lord. And so we, we cling to all of it. We thank you for your work. And it's, it's precious work in our hearts through your spirit. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, and I understand we're live streaming this. Uh, and so we have people at home that are not here, perhaps, that are watching. So thank you for joining us. If you're at home, I'll try to remember to look at the camera back there every once in a while. So so you don't feel left out. Um, Malachi. So that's where we're at. Uh, prophets were God's messengers, and more than that, they were intermediaries between God uh, and his people. They were the human instruments that he used to bring his word to the people in times of crisis, and usually crisis of disobedience, a crisis of their own making. Um, and the time of the prophets was from about... Uh, 1060 B.C. to about 450 B.C., and there were uh, what, were call, what we call major and minor prophets. Not major because they were better men or did everything right, and not minor because they were less important or they were smaller people. Uh, but these terms have been used because the books of the major prophets are larger and the books of the minor prophets are smaller. Uh, perhaps God used that particular prophet for a longer period of time. There was more to write about than he did with another prophet who wrote for a shorter period of time. There are 12 minor prophets in the Bible, and each of them has their own book of prophecy. And uh, the names should be familiar to you. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and our book, uh, Malachi. And these prophets brought indictments or charges against God's people and sometimes other nations. Uh, some of the things we hear from the prophets are regarding Israel's adulterous affairs with, other, with false gods, um, the coming judgment of God, uh, the coming pouring out of the Holy Spirit. We see that example in Joel 2, and then we see it fulfilled in Acts 2. Um, we, we see prophets uh, dealing with the spiritual laziness of the people. Um, and there was some judgment on other nations as well, like Edom and Nineveh. And God calls for repentance from listening to false prophets and their hypocrisy in religious ritual, and, and, and he's calling them back to what God wants for them. Um, and also the the we see in, in the prophets the prophecy of, of course, the coming Messiah. We see many, many prophecies of Christ and, and his birth and his life and his crucifixion, his resurrection, and we see lots and lots of prophecies about that. And some of those prophets, they, they answer, they ask and answer really hard questions, questions about God and, and man and evil uh, and sin and 
and some gave messages of encouragement uh, sometimes, such as Haggai in chapter 2, verses uh, 3 through 5. He says, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? Talking about um, Israel. How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst, fear not. But the kingdom was divided. There was three kings, King Saul, King David, and King Solomon, and then a division in the kingdom in 931 B.C. Judah and Benjamin were the two tribes that made up the southern kingdom, and the other ten tribes made up the northern kingdom of Israel, also called Ephraim. Um, And you may or may not know what happened or what caused this divide uh, in the first place, but from, from a divine standpoint, it was God's judgment on his own people because of their idolatry. Uh, and from a human standpoint, the division was a result of tribal discord and, and political unrest and those kinds of things, warring among people. But it's, this is not out of God's plan, out of God's sovereignty. He, uh, he did that. He divided that kingdom. And if you want to later, you can look at 1 Kings chapter 12, verses 21 through 24, and it explains what happened uh, in that division and how that came about. But, but in a nutshell, Jeroboam, Solomon's servant, rebelled against Solomon and fled to Egypt. Rehoboam is Solomon's son, and he became king of Judah. Jeroboam came back from Egypt, and the people were upset about the harsh work that they had when Solomon was king, and they asked Rehoboam to lighten the load, and instead he increased it. Jeroboam was given a prophecy from God by a man named, I don't know how to pronounce this right, Ahijah, that he would be king over ten tribes. Jeroboam rebelled, and the ten tribes of Israel made him king according to that prophecy. And Rehoboam, now with the southern kingdom, gathered those two tribes to attack the ten tribes, but the Lord stopped him. Okay, so, so the kingdom was divided. Uh, in the divided kingdom, there were... 20 kings over Israel through that, through that span, uh, and they were all bad. Uh, over Judah, there were 19 kings and one queen, uh, Athaliah, and there was a mixture of good and bad, but there, uh, there were more bad than good, including the last four kings were, were all bad. And all these bad kings are what made popular the biblical phrase, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Okay, that, you see that, if you read the scripture, you see that over and over again in, in describing these kings. Um, and so after a little over 200 years, okay, now we've got the divided kingdom, they've got all their, their kings, and after a little over 200 years, the northern kingdom of Israel fell to the Assyrians and was, was no more. First Chronicles 5.26 says, So the God of Israel stirred up the spirit of, of Pul, king of Assyria, the spirit of Tiglath, Philly. Pileser, king of Assyria, and he took them into exile. Okay? Did you hear that? The God of Israel stirred up the spirit of these kings to do this, to take them into exile. Okay? And, and Assyria later tried to take the southern kingdom, but God prevented that. 
Judah, the southern kingdom, lasted an extra 136 years or so before it fell and was taken by uh, Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. Again, not because that was his own plan, but because it was God's plan. Jeremiah 25, 8 and 9 says, Therefore thus says the Lord of hosts, Because you have not obeyed my words, behold, I will send for all the tribes of the north, declares the Lord, and for Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants, and against all these surrounding nations. I will devote them to destruction and make them a horror, a hissing, and an everlasting, everlasting desolation. God is sovereign. Exile for over 70 years. Okay, the, the people are in exile. They're allowed to go back to the land of Judah and rebuild the temple under King Cyrus of Persia, who had subsequently uh, conquered Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. Okay, so they're able to go back. So now to the prophets. Most of the prophets were, were active during the time of the divided kingdom uh, from about 870 B.C., uh, to, with Elijah till the exile of Judah in about 586 B.C., and they usually prophesied to Israel or Judah, but sometimes, like I said earlier, uh, a prophecy went to other nations, such as Jonah okay, prophesying to the people of Nineveh. And during the time of the exile, God's prophets were Daniel, Ezekiel, and Jeremiah, who, who overlapped and prophesied uh, before and during the exile. And after the return from exile, the temple is rebuilt in 516 B.C. There are now governors leading the Jewish people, no more kings. It was during the time of exile and after that, the minor prophets were active. And it is during this time after exile that the prophet Malachi comes onto the scene. Okay, so they are, they are back in Judah and Malachi is a prophet during that time. Um, he was a prophet around 465 B.C. during the Medo-Persian era, which is from about 539 to 332 B.C. But we don't really know for sure the exact dates that Malachi uh, was prophesying. And it was around the time when uh, Nehemiah was governor. Okay? And the name Malachi means my messenger. And what we have to remember about the prophets is that they were not well-liked by the people. They brought words of indictment and judgment to the people from God. Who wants to have their sin uncovered, right, and, and pointed out? Nobody likes that. Not the Israelites, for sure, because they were constantly rebellious and disobedient to God. And think about the prophets here and how, and how Jesus lamented. I want to look at that for a second. In, in Luke 13, 34, Jesus lamented how the prophets were treated by the people. Remember this this is really familiar, where Jesus said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. And although there is hope mingled with the messages of judgment, the overall picture painted by the prophets is of a people desperate for a divine mediator, okay, to save them from their sin. And, and things look grim for God's people. When you read through the prophets, it's just um, rebellion after rebellion and, and promised judgment coming, and it just seems never-ending. Um, but something is wonderful on the horizon, okay? It's not all bad. It, later in Malachi, we see in Malachi 
Uh, It says, but for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. Okay, so, so Malachi was a prophet of God after the return from exile before a long period of 400 years where God's people did not hear from him. Probably somewhere around uh, 100 years after the people had returned from captivity is where Malachi was, was prophesying. And remember, now this is important to remember that the temple has been rebuilt uh, by now and that the, the priestly service and the sacrificial system is, is back up and running. Okay, and that, that plays into what we're going to hear in Malachi as to some of the charges that are brought against the people. The people had grown uh, weary and skeptical about God's faithfulness to them. They had again become people who, who performed outward duties but were not inwardly grateful to God. They had grown so lazy about things that they did not give God or the temple service to God its proper reverence. Uh, therefore, they were, they were sinning and even carrying out the things that God had commanded them to do, they were sinning because of their, their hearts, their attitude. Um, they, they were not even able to do those functions without sinning. And we see a number of things that Malachi charges the people with in his writings to them. Uh, he, he is going to accomplish this by way of what some people have called the interrogation and reply method, to charge them, correct them, and call them to repentance. Okay. And sometimes it looks like this. He, he'll accuse them of something, he, and then he tells them what their reply to that accusation is, uh, which is usually a, a belligerent question like, when did we do that? Okay. As if they didn't know. And sometimes they, they don't know because they're so um, dull. Uh, then, then he tells them uh, in, in this method, he tells them when or how they did it and why it's a problem. Okay. And we see this method in other places in Scripture as well. This isn't the only place uh, that, that you'll find that. And the themes that we'll see in the Lord bringing charges against His people uh, through the, the prophets are themes like their, their disbelief that God has loved them. We'll see that right away in Malachi. And their dishonoring of God, uh, their dishonoring worship of God. The fact that the, the leaders fail to teach the Word of God faithfully. The people have profaned the marriage covenant. They accuse God of being unjust and unfaithful. They've always turned away from God's statutes. They, they've spoken harshly about God. Judgment is coming. These are all things that we'll see here in, in Malachi. But it's not all bad. And in this prophecy, we also see God's faithfulness to those who are faithful to Him. Uh, he'll, he'll spare those who are His sons and daughters. There will be a distinction between the righteous and the wicked, okay? And the, the healing of the Son of Righteousness, the coming Messiah. We see that prophecy in Malachi as well. Uh, and if, if that's not good, I don't know what is. So with these things in mind then, we come to the first chapter of Malachi, chapter 1, and we can see why the word of the Lord is described in the way that it is. Now just so you know, my introduction, the first time I went through this, took a whole Sunday morning, okay, and a whole Wednesday night, so I, I cut a lot out for you. So I know it's kind of like rapid fire, but uh, I'm trying to get, get through it, but I'm trying not to rush through it either. So there's so many important things in here that we, that we need to learn. I found it really hard to try to cut out some things, uh, 
from all the things that I, that I prepare because there's so much that I learned personally and it's, it's so important for us to have the background and be able to, to know what's going on here and why this is so meaningful to the people when they hear these words. But I want to go ahead and read for you and, and have you guys look at Malachi chapter 1 and looking at verses 1 through 5, okay? Verses 1 through 5. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says, we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says, they may build, but I will tear down, and they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, Great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. Okay, the, uh, verse 1, the oracle of the word of the Lord. The Hebrew word used here is masa, which means burden. And some of your, your Bible translations may even say the word burden. Does anybody have burden in it? Yeah, okay. So, so that, that may be there for some of you, and that's, that's something here for us to think about. It, it does carry the meaning of a load to bear, um, an oracle, which is an authoritative, infallible utterance uh, in this context. The fact that this is from the Lord Yahweh means it has serious weight to it. Okay? Not only a burden for the people, but a burden for the messenger who must deliver it. You remember when we, when we looked at earlier at Jesus' lament over how the prophets were treated, you talk about a burden in delivering the message of God to the people. What did they do? They killed the prophets. Okay? That, is, that is a burden, and you can bet that each prophet knew what happened to the prophet before him, right? So, so that's something that, that was weighing there, okay? So uh, here, this is what bringing the word of the Lord to the people is described as, a, a burden, Okay, all of these have the idea that this word is not to be cast aside. Not to be thought of or taken lightly as something that God's people could just ignore. He says something and you can just choose, well, that's good for this person or that person. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, it is not to be cast aside. Uh, the, the word of the Lord here is, is said to come through the messenger to Israel. And in verses, in verses 2 and 3, we have uh, the, the continuing text here that says, I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord, yet I have loved Jacob. Okay? So we see here the first charge brought against the people by the prophet is in regards to God's love. Okay? And he doesn't simply say, God is a loving God but makes the statement that God has loved them, okay? This is, a, this is a factual statement he's making here. It's a declaration. God has loved them. And remember that uh, this is the word of the Lord to them. So God's declaration himself here, okay? This isn't just Malachi talking. Remember, he is delivering God's word, and that word is, I have loved you. Okay, so Malachi in this Again, in this interrogation and reply method, that's what's going on here. 
he anticipates and gives the reply of the people before they even say anything. Okay, the, the fact that Malachi says, but you say, okay, already indicates that there's a problem. That but, okay, the Lord has loved you, but you say. So, so there's something wrong here. There is a, there's a problem. And it indicates a, a disagreement with this declaration. They disagree with the declaration that God has loved them. And this is what is in the hearts of the people. They don't have to speak the words. Malachi is saying, the Lord has loved you, and tells them what their reply is. That's what's in their hearts. And, and he knows, because God is giving him this message, he knows that is what their response is. The people oppose this declaration, and we see it in the reply. According to Malachi, their reply is, how have you loved us? Okay, that says, I don't think so. Okay, they're basically saying, prove it. What are those words, if you think about it, when God says, I have loved you, and they say, how have you loved us? What do those words indicate about the people's attitude? Anybody? The people's attitude, how, how is it revealed in that? In that what was that? They weren't satisfied, that's for sure. Yeah. Anybody else? Something about their attitude. This is how we're going to do it. We're going to ask some questions periodically. What was that? Ungrateful. Ungrateful? Something else was down there? No? Okay. Definitely there's a belligerence to it. Okay. Um, they're, they're doubting it, for sure. And certainly God has loved them, even though the people don't recognize it or even remember it, but in their hearts they're asking Him to prove it. Okay, that betrays their attitude of disagreement and belligerence. And, and before we talk more deeply about what it means that God loved them and God's own example here regarding Jacob and Esau, I wanted to discuss other ways that God has shown his love for his people. So another question, what are some of the ways throughout the history of God's people that he has shown his love for, for them, that he's demonstrated his love for them? What are some examples that you guys know of from Scripture of how God has demonstrated his love? He fed them in the wilderness, absolutely. He parted the sea, yeah, okay. Delivered them out of Egypt, delivered them from Pharaoh. What else? Think through their history that you know of. He what? Okay, so after the exile, you mean? Yeah, okay. Sent them back to their land. The temple was rebuilt, right? Yeah. Okay, he provided for them, right? He, he took them into the promised land. He gave all their enemies into their hands. Okay, you could think of many, many different ways in which God has demonstrated his love for the people. Um, and, and he has always, he's gone before them in battle, okay? Uh, shortly after receiving the Ten Commandments and giving them to the people, Moses warns them about not allowing their sons and daughters to marry pagans, and, and that they are to destroy all of the pagan altars to false gods. And as an example, I wanted to look at, at Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 through 8, and see this example here of how he loves them. So if you want to turn there, feel free, Deuteronomy chapter 7, and we're going to look at verses 6 through 8. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. 
The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for His treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number that any other than any other people that the Lord set His love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that He swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Okay, so we even have in Scriptures, you and I can think about ways that God has demonstrated His love. They had those things as well. They had the reminders of what God had done and proof that he's loved them. But here in this instance with Malachi, they're either forgetting that or just totally disregarding it, okay? Uh, he's, he proves his love for them in his faithfulness to them. The prophet Jeremiah has reminded them of the love and faithfulness of God toward the people in their past, but clearly they continue, continually forget. Jeremiah 31.3 the Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Okay? The proof here in Jeremiah's prophecy is that, uh, that God had loved them in that he has never stopped being faithful to them. But the example or proof God gives them through Malachi in our text is very specific. Okay? When we hear someone say, I love you, or I have loved you. What do we typically think that means? Someone says, I love you. What a, it's an emotional feeling, okay? Yeah. They have strong feelings for them. And it's usually based on, okay, there's some really shallow and superficial things, sometimes based on their appearance, uh, their performance, uh, characteristics about them, certain, certain things like that. And, and there's probably a lot of other examples you could throw in there. But we need to understand that the idea here of God's love for them is not based or motivated by a feeling. Okay? Uh, it's about a choosing. If God loved Israel, it meant that he chose them for himself. Is there affection here between God and, and his people? Sure. Yeah, God, of course, God loves the people. Uh, but the affection didn't motivate the choosing, the the a performance of, on their part in some way didn't motivate his choosing. It is about divine election, which means to choose. In regard to the people, they are chosen. They are singled out by God. And this is what God determines here is the best way to explain his love for them. Okay? In this passage in Malachi, he's got a way that he's going to explain to them how he's loved them. He's going to prove it to them. And he reminds them of his choosing of them over someone else, okay, which that someone else is Esau. God says, you want proof? Okay. And he begins to prove it by saying, is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord, yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. So the question from the Lord is, is not Esau Jacob's brother, is meant to make them think again about something that's true, something they all know. The answer they would have to give here is yes, okay? They all know that Esau is Jacob's brother. They also know a special relationship, a covenant relationship, has been established by God with the line of Jacob and not with the line of Esau, okay? So God is setting, in our passage in Malachi, God is setting their attention 
to that difference, okay? And, and then gives them the proof they're demanding in the next sentence, okay? I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? His answer, how? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord. Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. Genesis 25, if you want to look later at the whole thing, Genesis 25, 19 through 26, has the account of the birth of the, the twins, Jacob and Esau, uh, uh, to uh, Isaac and Rebekah. And here in that passage in Genesis, Rebekah inquires of the Lord about these, the babies, what's going on. There's this struggling going on inside her, in her womb, okay? And so she goes and inquires of the Lord about what is going on. And we see in, in Genesis 25, verse 23, what God says there. And we see this example of God choosing right, right in there. In verse 23 of Genesis 25, says, And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. The older shall serve the younger. Doesn't, doesn't mean it will just happen that way here in this passage, but that it was God's decision that it would be that way. Okay? This is very important that we, that we understand and know about God's sovereignty in all of this. Okay, who, what was the custom? What was the custom of, of the birth of male children in, in Israel? You had male children, two male children born. What was the custom there? Okay, the elder son, the firstborn, would receive the inheritance. Okay, but we, we see something different here. We, we see God doing something different. The firstborn would normally have preeminence over the other children. Okay, he got the birthright and all that. Uh, but this is not what God does here, and this is God's pattern, really, in Scripture. Choosing those who are not usually chosen, okay? Taking the ones that nobody would think it would be this way, and God does it this way, okay? And he does this for his own, according to his own will and for his own purposes. And this is about two individual people in history, Jacob and Esau, but also about the two nations that would come from the line of these twins. One, Jacob becoming what? Israel, okay? Jacob becoming Israel and the Israelites. And the other, Esau becoming Edom and the Edomites, okay? You could probably make a lot of jokes out of that name, but we don't need to do that. Uh, so, also, when we think of this idea of loving and hating, you know, normally what we think when someone says they love someone or hate, hate another one, um, usually we think of that as, well, this one person is lovable, and the other person isn't lovable. Okay? One of them was good and one was bad. And uh, Again, this exposes the fact that we think about these things in different ways than God. We think about these things and, and we base them on feelings. We base them on people's performance and, and what we see of them. We base it on their merit or, or, or their appearance. But that's not what we have here with God. Okay? This is about God's sovereign election, God's choosing of one over the other, um, and very specifically in a way that was not performance or merit-based. God's love for Jacob is shown primarily in his choosing him and his line, okay? And that's what he's pointing out through the prophet Malachi in his proof to the fact that he's loved them. Didn't I choose you? I've loved you, okay? 
And, and it also shows in our passage here that God's his hate for Esau. It's primarily shown in not choosing him or his line. Again, God hating Esau is not an emotional thing. Like, I hate that guy or something like that. Okay, this is, it, Really what we're looking at here is a, a choosing of one and not choosing the other. Calling one to be his people, leaving the other where he is. Okay? And that's how he's proving to them here that he has loved them. They know that Esau wasn't chosen. They know the direction Esau has gone. Okay? And they, they certainly know, looking back over their history, all the ways that God has loved them and demonstrated his love for them. And we see that laid out even more clearly uh, in, in Romans 9. Okay, God, Paul, when he's explaining this, the birth of the twins, he gets pretty specific about it, okay, and, and what this is based on and why. Um, looking at, in Romans 9, starting in verse 10, says, okay, and, and this is talking about this, this scene when they're born to Rebekah, okay, and not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, Here's what it says, though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Okay, We see that Paul gets really specific about this, really clears that up and what's going on there, that this was done not the way we would do things. We do things like, I, I, I'm going to choose you because I like you. you. You do things better than this person. I don't like this person, so I'm going to choose you. But this is, this is, or maybe I'm choosing you because you've done, in my eyes, you've done good things, and this other person has done bad things. Very specifically here, Paul called up and says, that's not how God is doing this. Okay? Before they were even born and had done nothing either good or bad. And here's why God does it that way. In order that his purpose of election might continue. Not because of works, but because of him who calls. Does that sound familiar? Not because of works? Right? That's, that's, our, that's salvation. That's the message. We are saved not by our works, but uh, by grace through faith. Okay? So, that's God's pattern. Okay? He, he chooses, and he uses that example here. Um, in, in Malachi. And I don't think it could be any clearer that God didn't choose his people because of feelings or performance, but by his own sovereign will. He chose a people for himself. We can clearly see that he didn't choose the best people, right? In all their, their history, all their disobedience, okay, they, were not, they were not the best people. But it's for his own sovereign purpose. Uh, and, and the scriptures, as we read them, they they tell us this, and it's important. God wants us to know this about him, that it is not based on performance. Our salvation is not based on performance. Okay? This takes away any right of boasting on the part of men. Okay? And you think about the Jews in the time of Jesus. What did they do? They boasted toward the Gentiles. Okay? What did they cling to? Our father Abraham. We do these things, all this stuff. Where we come from, our heritage, that's what they kept, keep holding up. Right? But we see that the gospel goes out to the Gentiles, and they didn't come from that line. 
okay? <clears throat> it reminds us that God is in complete control. And this language of loving or hating in terms of choice and not feelings toward the performance of someone else, uh, we see Jesus using similar language with the crowds when he talked about what it takes to follow him. If you remember this passage in Luke 14, 25, and 26, it says, Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, this is Jesus talking, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Does God really want us to hate our mother and father like, like we think of it? No. Okay, that's not true. We're to honor our father and mother. How can we hate them and, and honor them, right? But again, this is about choosing. If father and mother come between you and, and choosing to follow Christ, we're to hate them. We're to leave that and follow Christ. We fix our eyes on him. It's that idea, again, of choosing, okay? Not, not that you hate your parents or have a, um, you know, hateful feelings towards them or something like that. That certainly would be counter to, to Scripture, okay? But it is that Christ is preeminent. If something were to come between us and Christ or try to come between us and Christ and there's a choice to be made, we follow Christ, okay? That's a, a similar example. So God declares he has loved Jacob, and when they tell him to prove it, he does so by reminding them who Jacob's brother was. He's basically saying, remember that guy? Remember the, the people that came from that guy? I have not chosen them. Okay, it's being made clear to Israel. I have not chosen them. I have chosen you. Okay, and if that clear, it's not even enough to, to cause them to say, you're, you're right, God. Uh, we're, we're wrong. Okay, he has, Malachi has to keep going through this uh, over and over again to prove these things to them uh, because they're not believing it. But he starts with this one about God loving them. Um, and not only that, but look at how the Lord keeps the focus on Esau and continues to add to this proof by saying, I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. Okay, so it's not only just I chose you and not him, but look at what I have done to him. Okay? God says about Esau, I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. This is another comparison. God has not laid waste to the land of Israel. But this statement can seem like it leaves the door open for them to say, or to be able to say in response, but wait, our temple was destroyed, and we were taken into captivity for 70 years. But there's a difference here, and that's important to realize. This is what the Lord himself is pointing to as proof that he has loved them, so there has to be a distinction. And we looked before at the birth of the twins, Jacob and Esau, and there were a number of things that the Scripture records uh, regarding how God brought about what He had chosen for in Jacob. Uh, and we're just about out of time, so I probably need to not get into this next section, but, but the next time we'll, we'll get into more of this distinction with Jacob and Esau. Okay? And, and all of this goes to what's being said in Malachi. You and I didn't live 
our, our heritage is not through this. We weren't taught by our fathers and their fathers about our people, the Israelites, okay, and reminded of all these things. But these people were, okay, they're being written to. They fully understand these comparisons, the things that Malachi is bringing up. They have no wiggle room there. Um, and so I think it's important for us as well to look back at this and to see how God has loved them uh, so that as he's proving it to them, he proves it to us uh, as well. And so we'll have to do that next time. But before we end, we got a couple minutes left. I just wanted to see if there was any questions about anything uh, that we went over tonight. I know it's a lot of information, um, but any questions? Confusion about anything? Did you learn anything new? I certainly did when I, when I was studying through this, so I hope that you guys, that you guys are. Um, so we'll go ahead and stop there for tonight. And if, if questions come up during our midweek teaching, we still have available for you guys on our website. You can submit questions to the elders, and it can be based on something that was, that's taught. Like if you're confused or you, know, you disagree or something like that, send in a question. It doesn't have to be something that we put out. You can say on there, hey, could you contact me personally or something like that. Um, we'd always love to have biblical conversations uh, with the church. So if there's no questions, we'll wrap it up. I see that we're almost here at our time at 7.30. So why don't we close in a word of prayer and then we'll be done for the night. Father in heaven, thank you again for tonight. And thank you, Lord, for your word. Um, We thank you, Lord, that we can listen and hear how you have loved your people. And Father, it's, it's no different now. You love your children, so much so that that you sent your son to seek and to save the lost. And Father, we are so grateful that, that all those who put their faith and trust in Christ for salvation, Lord, that, that they receive that through his work, not by our own merit, not because we were lovable, but Father, because you loved us because you chose a people and you have pursued your people. And we are indebted beyond anything we could ever pay, Lord. And we thank you that Christ has paid our penalty. May we remember the gospel. May we trust in it fully. May may we receive joy and hope from it. And as we continue to teach through things uh, here on Wednesday nights, Lord, I pray that you will teach us new things, that that we will just increase in knowledge uh, and understanding. I thank you for the folks that have come out tonight to to join in with the singing and and with with your word and the study of your word. We thank you for those that are at home that are are listening as well. May this be edifying to your, your church. We give you praise for all things. We thank you for your grace and mercy. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.